Greetings. Welcome to HeCast, the official podcast of He Changed It. As always, my name is Mike Chisholm. I am the host. Uh, I'm in the best spot to be in when it comes to He Changed It because I'm watching the growth of the company and I'm married to the CEO, so I don't have to do a ton of the heavy lifting. Uh, I just get to come here and, and talk to really interesting people about what's going on in uh, the world of men's mental health. Uh, today, I'm very excited to bring on the podcast a hockey player. I'm a big hockey guy. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of the team, the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, send your hate mail elsewhere. We're the best. We're awesome. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to talk to the captain of the Kelowna Chiefs. Uh, Marshall Porteous, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here. It's a pleasure. I appreciate being on. You, uh, you're, you're, you're the captain of a junior hockey team. I'm still getting used to it, honestly. Like yeah? I, I, I can't. Like I'm like I was told in July, and I think it still feels weird to say out loud and hear right. out loud. So I heard Wayne Gretzky on. Uh, I think he was on David Letterman once. Him and Messier, and and uh, they were both on there talking about the difference of uh, what the role of a captain is. And 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 I think uh, Gretzky said, or maybe it was Messier. One of them said, "Oh yeah, no, no, we just have to plan the parties. That's that's what we <laughs> have to do." Yeah. Um, you said it was a it was a big deal for you to get that to get that uh, distinction. Uh, this is your fourth and last year as a, a in junior hockey. Yeah, it is for sure. Yeah. And and so and you just got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I've been trying to be a leader without a letter for the first like I think three years of being in. Like I honestly I couldn't tell you how much I've wanted to have at least just some sort of a title on a team or have like that kind of respect. And I think I realized getting into junior that I didn't need it, and um, I slowly learned how to be able to how to be able to like lead a team and direct a team in a positive way and just kind of lead by example. But I, I honestly, I'm still beyond words um, about how much it means to me to be able to have this and be able to be looked up to and just set, a, set an example with something on my chest this season. You see, you use the term and I, I mentioned it earlier, a leader without a letter. I, I love that. Uh, it's such a neat uh, concept that, that, that somebody just, just, just is moving into that leadership role and, and accepting that responsibility, whether or not it's an official deal or not. Um, what does leadership mean to you? Honestly, like I, like I said to Draves, like we were, we ended up having a conversation at the beginning of camp and he kind of talked to me about uh, what, how it's going to change my game. And he and I kind of both joked that it wouldn't change at all. But honestly, I, I think that's kind of the way I got to look at it. Um, just be more of yourself and stop, you know, changing yourself to be somebody else. And, and when it comes to just relationships with your boys in general in the dressing room, like I think just being a friend to most of them and then being on the ice, a really good example for them to look up to, not only off the ice. So, uh, Being that example, showing that the, that behavior that is, uh, is that of a winner. Yeah. And that's really important to you. Has that always been important to you? Yeah. Like, honestly, I haven't played on a lot of winning teams growing up. Like I grew up in just, you know, suburban Calgary, Alberta. And so we kind of, we were just, kind of stuck out there with all these crazy teams from all over the city. And sure. I think it was always a pretty big grind to be able to play against a lot of a lot of the guys who were growing up in inner city or in richer neighborhoods who had a lot of access to like the the like the best programs they could have. And uh, I think growing up, I think we just kind of got used to the fact that no matter how scarce a win is, like just kind of playing to be that person and playing to be those guys who at the end of the season, regardless of what the numbers looked like, we're mm -hmm. proud of how the season looked. And I mean, ever since those first few uh, years of hockey that were a bit of a struggle, I think I kind of fell into that that mentality. And then getting out here and being able to play with the Chiefs, um, not not the last, I mean, the last two seasons have been great, but even my first year here have just been like with guys like Brody Dale and Zach Earhart, Lane Patterson, you know, mm -hmm. the Sutton brothers were always 
like amazing hockey players and just being able to watch those guys and be actually successful as a team was was incredible to me. And you've seen some success. You've For seen sure. uh, you you guys saw a record setting uh season. Yeah, oh yeah, like it was it was incredible. I mean, I've never walked out into a season and won, you know, what was it like 13 games straight almost? And, wow. And I was like I was like blown away. And that was just in regulation. I think the next game we won after that that broke those up was just an overtime win. So I was just I was blown away. Wow. And so, yeah, I've never, I've never really been able to experience that. But I mean, with this, with this team, with the Chiefs and everything, it's been, it's been incredible. So this is your last year in junior. Yeah. It's a weird year because of COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's, uh, what, what was the camp like and what was, what's it like kind of going in knowing that, you know, in a few weeks you're going to be uh, uh, playing regular season hockey that is unlike any other uh, season you've ever had it's unbelievable like I think being at home um it felt like we were so far away from a season just two weeks ago and then just to get have BC move on to to the next phase and and just kind of start running into it now is incredible like the amount of the amount of changes the leagues had to go through and like honestly it's week to week we find out something new is going to change right week to week and who our cohort's going to be who we're playing for the first few games whatever it, the case may be um it's it's definitely exciting to see how it's going to be because it's like it's going to be a different year and I mean difference usually pretty good in the hockey world so it's it's just exciting to see but I mean camp was camp was weird like there we had we played three on three you know we yeah. did as much as we could to like kind of keep guys spaced apart I mean I noticed too we had our coaches running these full ice practices with fourteen skaters sure and the cardio was <laughs> it was pretty demanding you realize what those flow drills can take out of you and you get that that few guys on the ice so yeah it was nuts um. You're a leader. You're a young leader. You're 20 years old. Okay. And we'll talk about your future here in a, in a couple minutes, but I want to go into your past a little bit. But before we, before we go into the past with COVID, uh, you are, you know, uh, first time captain. Are you saying things to some of these younger guys? Cause you got 17 year olds on the team. And are you, are you, are you saying to some of these, 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 uh, large boys, <laughs> are you having to use some of that leadership to, to kind of get mentalities back into a, uh, a good headspace or are you dealing with that because of COVID or? It seems like most of the guys who are here want to be here and they know what the cost is for, for getting sick and, 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 you know, potentially spreading it to the team. And I think a lot of guys are just, you know, as careful as they can be right now. I mean, I haven't really had to tell anybody, no, we probably shouldn't be going to hang out us 20 out somewhere at somebody's house. Right. We haven't really had an op like an opportunity nor a situation where any of us had wanted to. Right. So like, I, I think for the most part, it's been a pretty, pretty under like pretty good understanding of how the season's supposed to fit and how yeah. we all have a responsibility to each other to be on top of things and no so I haven't really had to say much that's good yeah um now Alex Draper who has been on this podcast we uh we we had a really good episode with him a little while ago it was we, we we talked about all sorts of stuff just the way that how sports has changed how the locker room has changed and in, in um in our lifetimes now you're you're a guy who's kind of right on the cusp of it right now 20 years old in many ways uh in the prime of this phase of your life in in in, in that regard um Alex told you a little bit about what he changed it uh is is looking to do and how we're looking to uh um to really affect and be a good aid for men's mental health out there and and uh one of the things that you had said, um, well, with everything that I've been through, um, it just seemed like a natural fit. And uh, that's why we're, we're, we're doing this today. Talk a little bit about that. What are some of the things that you have been through to get you to this point? Well, um, when I was 11, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder and a severe anxiety disorder. And I think 
growing 11. Up, 11 years of age. Wow. Which means, I mean, for most people who get diagnoses, like they mostly don't realize they even need one until it's, you know, way further down the line. Yeah. So I actually, I think the first time I started to experience symptoms was probably around the time my little sister was born. So I, sh- I would have been about six when I first started to notice that I had OCD and anxiety. What kind of symptoms would you have? Well, I remember like I'd have intrusive thought OCD. So my the way my psychologist explained it to me was that I'd have like, sometimes I'd have fake memories, false memories that would that would be like, I'd have like a dream or I'd think I did something wrong or I'd have like a thought of potentially doing something wrong. And I'd feel guilty just even for the thought. So it'd be like, I mean, the best way I can describe it in like a modern setting where somebody's just, you know, and anybody can probably have this feeling where they're they're driving down the middle of the road on the right side thinking like, oh, what if I swerve into the left? Okay. Right. And what if I go into oncoming? That thought of what if. Yes. And that what if for me always came with a cascade of, well, who, who would I hit? And what would their family's reaction be like? And how would that? Go? Oh, you went down the rabbit hole. Yeah. With and it. it was bad. And I would go down and that wow. was starting on a six years of age. So there was times I'd get I'd even convince myself that I stole something and I would and I would like go to my mom. Listen, like, I think I stole I mean, it could be a Lego piece from somebody. Right. And and she'd be like, oh, okay, like, are you sure? Like, like, where is it? You should take it back to them. And I'd, I'd get so worked up over this kind of stuff. And oftentimes it wasn't even the case. Like, I didn't even take anything. It was just like I'd convince myself that I potentially did. Right. So I should at least, you know, take the consequences just in case I did do something. Right. So things like that became like a really bad issue for me. And I think by the time I was, what, eight years old, it got to the point where I was just crying like relentlessly and so i was wow. going i was going up uh, on a road trip for spring hockey and i told i told my mom something and i just remember her like lo- like realizing like marshall like you're you know confessing over things that you didn't do like i remember like the first conversation we had i was telling her like listen like i i don't know what i did i might have stolen something i don't remember like maybe i i could have a bad thought like maybe i hurt the dog or something like that right and it was just wow. like it was just really tough stuff. And so my mom ended up getting me to go see a psychologist, Dr. Julie Brock, who saved my life. And um, honestly, like I was, I think the first suicidal thought I had when I was, I was about 11 years of age. 11. 11. And that was to me, like, if you're 11, you have a suicidal thought, it's real, right? Like you don't have society around, you're not watching things like online that tell you, you know, right. what even suicide is at that point. I probably right. didn't even know the word that well, right? It was just an instinctual, instinctual thing. thing, like to end this, how am I going to end this? And that's the only way to end it. And so I ended up going to see the psychologist who recommended uh, taking a, a couple medications that I tried and I started on through the years. And honestly, they, the recovery was incredible. Like it was almost night and day over, over the course of six months, I was just back at it. And um, by the did time, you understand it oh, at the time? Like, no, I had no idea there was anything wrong with me. That's the thing is like when you're that little, especially you see other people, you don't even think that you can experience mental illness. You don't right. think it's a thing. And especially when I was little, I think even between being 11 and now you realize like you, you don't even know that mental health existed. I think I think even early as early as 2010, I don't think that mental health was spoken about enough for anybody to even know it existed. That's, this is part of what he changed it is doing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in my forties and, uh, the language that is used, uh, by you right now in, in talking about some of these mental health, um, issues, illnesses, uh, uh, you know, strategies, um, are mind blowing to hear from, from, from you. Um, because, I never started hearing about these words, you know, and the last it's been like the last 10 years and that's around the same timeline. Um, and yet it became part of your reality during your formative years. You're still in your formative years, right. for goodness sakes. Like, yeah. um, were you able to handle it? I think it, it took me a little while. Like I, I got to the point where I was like spelling out 
different ways that I thought, you know, would be the most efficient to hurt myself or to get rid of myself and erase myself from this planet. And I think around then I was like, it's probably 12 or 13 Mm. and it was still occurring and I got my medication, but it was still night and day. Like my feelings weren't there, but I was, I was still just sad. And it wasn't like I'd found a purpose to what I was really trying to achieve by getting better. I thought getting better just meant feeling less anxious. And if, if that was the case, I was definitely feeling better, okay. but I wasn't healthy. And I think there's a huge difference between better and healthy. And I think I, oh. it took me a little while to figure that out. There's a difference between feeling better and actually being healthy. Yeah. Um, that's profound. <laughs> I think there's a lot of guys that are out there, whatever struggle they're going through right now, um, because I mean, you can, you can, you can, you can have a couple beers and feel better. Right. Yeah, of, course, of course. Right. You can make some bad decisions and, 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 and feel better temporarily, but, right. but the actual health and, and, and building up that at the time. Okay. So you're a very competitive hockey player. Um, and, and at the time in Canada, they identify that early, right? No, <laughs> like really sure. early, like, like you're, you're getting into rep leagues at this point and, and looking at midget and, and getting scouted by, and, and, yeah. and you're going through this. So the pressure from the sport did it help? Did it hurt? Did the discipline of sport help? Uh, talk a little bit about being an athlete and going through some of that. It stuff. definitely detracted from a lot of a lot of the pain I was feeling. Like I think I'd get to the rink and it would just fall off of me. Uh, like in a lot of ways, like and it's kind of hard to explain. Like you, you don't go anywhere with a physical injury and it goes away when you walk into a room. There's not a lot of rooms you can walk into. No. Unless you're doing something wrong. If your ACL's gone, your right. ACL's gone. Right. So I, I walked I walked into the rink and I started to notice like I had no time to feel crappy. I didn't, there was nothing, like I had a duty and responsibility to my teammates to be Marshall Porteous, not Marshall Porteous, the mental health patient. Right. And I I'd walk into those rinks and I'd go play. And I think by the time I was 12 or 13, I realized like this is something I want to do for a long time. Right. And, and it became a treatment for me. And so I, I ended up, when I was 12 years of age, um, went to a school just to go look at to see if I wanted to go. It wasn't mm -hmm. anything super serious. But I went off um, to Wilcox, Saskatchewan to go look at Notre Dame to go play there. Yeah. And uh, I walked into, those, that, into that school and into those doors and saw everything that I wanted to see. And I said, this is the place for me. So I came home, finished that year of hockey, um, bought my red equipment, and flew out to Saskatchewan the next year in September. I was 13 the first time I left home. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ended up in a ended up in a dorm. So it wasn't billeting yet. Okay. It was still dorms. And I was I was uh, living on in a in a double bunk bedroom with three other guys going to school every day. All of us there for the same reason to go play hockey and get as far as we possibly can. I think that colony of people and learning to to just be able to put your your issues on the back burner and just say, okay, like it's you know it's hockey time. It's school yeah. time like having a set schedule where our phones were handed in at night and, you know, and, and like, we just had no, um, like no real vices at that school that would have kept us away from doing what we were there to do and get business done. Right. And I think that for me really helped me mature into, into somebody who knows the difference between doing better and being healthy. Right. And I think like, once I realized that doing better wasn't just going to a doctor and feeling good for the next 10 hours afterwards. Yes. It was actually spending the entire year focused on school and hockey. And I learned how to be able to cope at that school. So in that, and, and you, you kind of are, are, are starting to answer the question I'm about to ask. Um, you're diagnosed at this point. You've got a limited understanding as to what's going on. Um, did the discipline of uh, your new regiments um, and, and be part of a, 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 for lack of a better term, 
uh, a military hockey school, you know, yeah. take the military out of it. But that's really what it yeah, is. Really eat, next to it. Eat, sure. sleep, drink, breathe hockey yeah. is what you're doing there. Uh, I had a friend who, who went to Notre Dame as well, and he told me a lot of the stories of, boy, oh, boy, they mean business there. Oh, yeah. Um, and they they, they kind of turn you into a uh, a sharpened hockey weapon coming right. out of that, that, that place. Was the discipline good for your mental illness is that something that where your psychologist is like yeah this is going to be really good for marshall i think she was she was a little bit um hesitant i think she thought like this could go one of two ways and i think we all knew that it could go one of two ways like i was going to end up like and that's with anything on it obviously if you're struggling with anything and you're about to start anything yeah can always go one of two ways yeah right and and so i walked into this place a little bit nervous but also like i noticed after the first week of being away from my family as much as i miss them i wasn't nearly crying about it as much as I thought I would, that kind of stuff was mm-hmm. like, again, no, you don't have time for it. So that kind of discipline definitely gave me um, things to lean on during the week and say, like, hey, like I got hockey. I can't I can't be sad today. I can't. Right. There's no time to be sad today. I'm not sitting in my room alone worried about how this week's going to go. I'm not worried about who likes me, who hates me. You know, I have a game up in North Battleford and I got to go. Those are the priorities. Right. That's We got to get that right. done. Right. So like it wasn't. There just wasn't room for it. And out there, I, I didn't just play hockey out there. Like, I played multiple sports, which they encouraged. So when the hockey mm. season was over, I wasn't like, well, you know, like, it's March. I still have three more months here. What am I going to do? Right. I started playing baseball out there. I played I played ball. I played rugby in my second year out yeah. there. And, like, I mean, I, I just noticed playing those kinds of sports just to, as a filler for that time period, too. Like, they were very, very keen on having us play multiple things, being involved in multiple groups and, and, and clubs. So... Like, it was just incredible. And I mean, like, I was I was going to school with athletes that were, like, taken off. They were, mm. like, my a guy who lived three doors down from me, Dylan Dubay. Okay. So yeah. his first night back from his first game in Kelowna, he walked past my, um, we had dorm parents at the time. So they would stay yep. on the same level as us. And he came down to go to go talk to them because they asked him how the game go. Like, how was Kelowna? Because obviously everybody's wondering. And I just remember seeing that kind of success. And being like, you know, this kid's 16, 15, you know, and he's mm-hmm. he's getting scouted and playing already in the WHL. Like, I am, you know, I'm shocked. Right. Like, this is so cool. So I remember just being, like, driven by those kinds of things instead of what was holding me back. So something to aspire to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You so, always had someone you looked up to. Absolutely. How important is that, having a mentor, having someone that, uh, you know, something that you want to shoot for? Oh, it's it's huge. Like it's obviously it's massive and it's all you can really have because I think comparing yourself to what you think you can be is always difficult when you're a pessimist because what do you think you can be? Well, if I think it could be nothing, what am I trying to be? Right. Right. Like why, what's the point in trying? Right. Right. And then, but if you look at somebody who, who came from the same area, he came from Cochrane, I came from Calgary and guys mm-hmm. like that. And it wasn't just him. Like there was, that school was loaded with athletes sure. who were all from all walks of life, all different races, all different, you know, religions. And they'd all come to this Catholic boarding school, forget what they grew up learning and just play. And I think for me to see success up close and personal like that was just, it was huge. So you are uh, in your, in your teenage years now at this point, uh, playing a lot of hockey, still, uh, still uh, trying to get used to the new normal of understanding of your mental condition um were there bumps along the way absolutely yeah i think uh i, I would get to the point where i'd feel good enough to go off my medication and i'd uh, I'd, I'd drop it and the problem with things like which i was taking at the time which is citalopram uh Selex is the brand name okay. i uh it takes two weeks to re-enter your system but only four days to leave okay. so i'd go off of it for two or three days and i'd be pretty much out of it in my system 
But then I'd be like, oh, I start to feel low. I'm like, okay, I shouldn't be doing that. And I put it back in. But then after that, I mean, I have to wait another, you know, week and a half mm-hmm. to let those four days run out. Then I have a week and a half without it. And right. then that's the spiral for a week and a half. And then you start to feel good again. And your brain gets tricked into, okay, never mind. I think, actually think I am good. And it's just a brutal cycle. And so I did that a, like a bunch of times. And I think those were the lowest points in my life was when I was sitting in, in a position where I thought I was good enough to, you know, forget about like that I need my medication and that, right. that, I, was, that I was actually truly struggling still. Those were my biggest tough like uh, bounces in the road. But I, I, I think those were, I learned a lot from those. And I think those were what kind of shaped me into uh, understanding how, how real my, my condition was and is. Mm-hmm. And, and actually understand that it truly is a medical condition more than a feeling. Right. And I think that that's one of the biggest stigmas uh, when it comes to mental health is that uh, there, there, there's a big difference between conditions and feelings. Right. And um, many times we don't do enough introspection um, to, to even learn what the differences might be. Right. Of course. Um, so what is I think you, you struck on something there and I want to kind of go down this path a little bit because um, I think the idea of. You know, people, when you say, oh, you know, I've, I've gone off my medication, you know, there is a natural inclination for people to go, hey, great, and give you a hand. Yeah. Because you, you, it's, it, it, it's almost like you're coming up with a connotation that you've beaten something. Right, right. But um, what was it about wanting to go off the medication? And obviously saying that that's not a good idea. And, and you know, if you're going to get off your medication, um, do so at the recommendation of someone smarter right. than you and someone who's an Somebody expert. A few letters field. behind their name. Sure. Just, abso- yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what, why would you want to go off your medication? Just talk a little bit about that. What kind of feelings um, precipitated that behavior? I think just feeling better. That's the thing is that I'll always cycle back to feeling better and being healthy. And I think feeling better for me was like, well, the time, like, well, I'm healthy, right. you know, I'm better. And I didn't realize like the, the chemistry of my medication at the time either. I think that really showed me how valuable it was like to actually have in my system and to be taking like mm-hmm. on a regular basis, you know, almost religiously to be on my medication and say, Hey, like I need it. Right. And so I just kind of, I, I, I kind of did some research on my own, but also I learned through, you know, biology and just stuff at school, chemistry that, you know, how my medication worked and why it worked. And, and, and the fact of the matter is I'm, I have a chemical imbalance that probably will never correct itself in my brain. Okay. Right. And so to be able to leave something, take, you know, get off of a drug, you know, why would you, if that chemical imbalance is, you know, near permanent, right. You know, take that medicine, feel better. Right. And un, un, unless you for sure have spoken to a doctor who said, Hey, like, you know, it's fine. It's time to be able it's to. It's part uh, of a plan of like, some sort. Yeah. You yeah. know, if there's an attack at, at handling it, obviously. But I, 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 you know, I diagnosed myself and I think that was my mistake that I made. And I think that became an issue that, that, uh, that I ended up having to deal with. But yeah, that was probably my biggest thing that I definitely, I definitely felt that I was just doing better, which wasn't enough. How many times do we as men self-diagnose? I mean, you, that's a great, that's a great, uh, turn of phrase that you just threw out there. I think, I think many times we, uh, um, through denial or through, uh, <laughs> you know, different, different mechanisms, we will self-diagnose ourselves as okay. Right. Or, 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 you know, hopefully not okay in the sense of, okay, recognition that something's going on. Right. Um, that self-diagnosis is, is, um, it's a pivotal point, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I, I definitely noticed like for boys and, and especially just even men, um, in my last few years, I've just kind of noticed a lot of my friends whose dads have have kind of struggled financially in Alberta or mm-hmm. just struggled with mental health and on, on like mm-hmm. on anywhere and honestly Canada. I have a lot of friends who who obviously just through Notre Dame and through hockey in general, 
um, people all over Canada who I, who I've grown friends with, but a lot of them, like I've seen a lot of, a lot of suicides in, in middle-aged to older men yeah. through finance or just through relationship issues. And, and I definitely, I definitely started to understand that like a lot of guys are grown up saying, you know, and like my least favorite word in the world is like, don't be a pussy. Because in two ways, you know, that's that's not only is it is it is it wrong to say to somebody, but it puts down it puts down the fact that mental health is an issue, and it makes it makes it seem like it's out of reach for men to be able to feel sad, right? Right. And and I think growing up hearing that kind of stuff, like if he's crying, you know, he's a pussy. Yep. I hated that. And not only that, I also found that terms like that, like they put down they put down the feminine qualities that men have. And as mm-hmm. a result, I think in a lot of ways too, it also puts women down for being like that. I think you're, you're having this negative comparison Aww. of men to women. And I think in a lot of ways, it almost just strengthens that, that issue of, of misogyny in a lot of ways too. So I think there's just a lot of convoluted issues in, in using terminology like that for people. Like I think it not only makes the mental health issue worse for guys, but I think it also just makes relationship issues worse in general across the board. That's profound what you just said. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny. I, I, I think of a woman that I admire and if somebody compares me to that woman, um, it's a, it's a massive compliment, but, right. but that lens is very rarely on uh, when it comes to insults and things right. like that to compare and to disparage and to uh, like you throw like a girl, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that, the, just to pull out the classic one, the one right. that we all kind of, kind of know about. Uh, that is a fascinating insight that you have given. Um, we here at He Changed It, we're trying to take back a phrase. We're trying to take back something. Uh, it's man up. Right. The idea of manning up. And, and, and I think that, um, the traditional sense has been exactly what you're talking about. You know, don't be a pussy. Right. Um, when we talk about manning up now, it's it's actually the idea of recognizing and awareness is attached to it. Uh, recognizing that there's something wrong, recognizing that it takes strength to stand up, admit that something is wrong, and then to actually maybe go against the grain, the cultural grain. Right. Um, that's what truly manning up should be right. in our in from where we're, we're coming from. Um, I love that, that we got a 20-year-old who's already – you know, um, finding the shortcuts to, to that. Um, do you talk about your mental illness with, uh, with the team? Like, like, do you, do the players know that, that you're going through this? For the most part, like, I think everybody that I've ever played with kind of knows I posted it on Instagram, posted it on Twitter, I posted it on everything. And if, if, if somebody I know in the room is struggling or is visibly, you know, going through something, I will always walk up and say, Hey, listen, like I've been there. I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I've been there. Wow. And, and I, I've been sad. Right. And like, that's the biggest thing. It's like a lot of guys, I remember growing up thinking like, do guys get sad? Because I mean, I've never seen it. Like outside of, outside of, you know, like a couple of times where like men would cry at, you know, Miracle on Ice or something like that. Like how many times are you going to grow up and see like a man crying about something really and truly, at least in my life, I never really saw it. And, and I think. But yet you have these feelings inside. And I think I'm like. (laughs) What, what's wrong with me? Like something's wrong. Like yeah. I don't even know what's going on. And I think for me, like that was one of one of the biggest issues as, as far as like understanding what man up meant was like if you're crying, you just aren't a man. Right. Because like what does that even mean? Yeah, exactly. Right? So I had to definitely took an issue with that. And then not only did I take issue with that, but I also think like I grew up with two powerful women in my house, my mom and my sister. I look at them both every day and I'm very grateful for the things they taught me. 
And as far as, you know, what my dad's taught me too, and how to be like a, how to be a gentleman, how to be a nice guy and how to be, how to be kind. I think they taught me as well that, you know, being a man, manning up isn't necessarily being tough or scary. It's about representing what you believe in as strongly as you can. It's about uh, representing what you believe in as strong as you can. Yeah. That's huge. And if that means tears, that means tears. And that was always (laughs) what I was taught. Like I was just, I remember throwing like a girl was definitely one that was thrown on my face. And then the other day I was playing catch with my sister before I left. Like I think it was probably, I say the other day. Probably a few months ago, time's mm-hmm. flying right now. Yeah, but uh, we were playing. We were playing catch, and she threw, and I swear to God, she's about tore a hole in my glove. Like this kid's <laughs> playing boys, boys top tier ball, and she's fourteen, still with the boys. And I'm like, geez, like that's awesome. Yeah, but again, like things like that, I just kind of see visible, um, visible uh, identifiers that those types of statements just are inaccurate and short sighted, and just just terrible to say well a new commentary needs to be created for sure um and i'm 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 grateful when i when i when i meet younger people like yourself that are are um waving such a flag for this um i'm astounded by it and and that is in my in my viewpoint that's what leadership is um now you've got a season coming up here um but beyond that this is your last year being able to play junior hockey yeah um, so that's, that's a transition for you. Um, nervous about it, scared about it, uh, excited about it. What is that? What does it mean to you? Or are you, are you just kind of present and enjoying it? I'm just, yeah, again, I'm trying to savor it. I just, um, it flies by, like, it feels like yesterday I was that 17 year old begging Grant Sheridan for a spot on this team. And I just, <laughs> um, I look back at all of that. Like it was like, it was just a quick couple days ago, but it really wasn't like it was, it's flown by and every single minute along the way has been worth every single tear that is that I've dealt with along the way as well. So like I've never really sat here and been pissed off about a crappy situation that I've dealt with in this league or dealt with as a hockey player in this time as a junior player. So I just I just like especially for this season, just want to be able to take my time every single game, yeah. respect each second, each whistle, each goal, each post, everything. So yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely just trying to drag it out as long as I can. Good for you. Um, now, obviously, anything can happen in the times that we're in, whatnot. I know what your ultimate goal would be, of right. course. I don't even know if you like to say it out loud, no, but of yeah. course, you, you you know, you'd love to do this uh, as a career. Yeah. Um, but you are also uh, looking at just in case that isn't the case. Um, law? You're looking yeah. at law? Yeah, I'm trying to go into. <laughs> well, I mean, I was I think I was like I was probably I was probably about. 12 years of age, maybe, maybe a little older. The first time I'd, I'd heard of or seen the big short, which is, you know, a crazy, crazy business story. And, and I ended up reading it just over, well, started reading it over the summer. Yep. And, and to this day, like I just find securities like so, so amazing. And so I'm still kind of torn between my MBA and getting a law degree. Right. But I'm working on obviously my undergrad right now at UBCO, which is part of the reason why I came to Kelowna in the first place. Right. And so, uh, but yeah, like I'm definitely sitting there thinking like I'm super fascinated with the world of securities and the world of business and finance. So I'm definitely on that teeter totter for sure. Right on. But hockey is still the, yeah, it's always been the vehicle to get there. Yeah. So like whether or not I was good enough to get into a specific school that I wanted to go to, I sure. could use, you know, I could use that, that talent of mine as a, as, as a vehicle or as fuel to be able to get in yeah. anywhere that, that uh, has that kind of, that kind of an athletic program with a hockey team. So that's always been something I've wanted to chase. But again, like if I have opportunities in hockey, I'm definitely going to take that as far as I can. Absolutely. Um, 
as we kind of start to move this thing to a close, uh, it, it, it's very cool when a younger person can inspire you. And, and I think that we see that a lot with athletics. We see that a lot with, with artists that make it really big, really fast early on in their careers. And whether they like it or don't like it or know it or don't know it, they become influential to people of all ages all around right. them. Um, talking to you, it is very cool to see that you have that gift and you wield it uh, in such a responsible way, there are going to be guys that are watching this or listening to this podcast um, that may be living in that quiet life of desperation or that, in, the, 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 that introspection, knowing that something there isn't exactly right, um, maybe not even able to identify it. What what would you recommend to those guys? I think just understanding that you aren't a freak for feeling like that. You are a man. And when people tell you that you need to man up, that's just somebody who's, you know, who's heard it on a radio show or on TV thinking like that's, that's what you have to say to somebody who's yeah. sad. And I just, I want them to understand that despite the fact that they're feeling something, that they're feeling sad, that just makes you human. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you any, any less of a man or any less of a woman rather, even if you know somebody who's, who's dealing with it on that end. But I just want those guys to understand that like it's, it's beatable. Mm-hmm. And I think, the most important thing that I realized was that doing it on your own is the only way that you can do it and lose. I think doing it with somebody's help and reaching out and letting them know and say, Hey, listen, like I'm dealing with this. Have you dealt with this before? Whether or not they say yes or no, they'll understand that what you're going through is serious and that there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's an illness and it's as real as breaking a leg. That, uh, well, and we, we've used that analogy many, many times, uh, physical illness. It's pretty, uh, you know, connect the dots as to how to, you know, if you get a torn ACL, if you break your leg, whatever, um, this mental illness, I think we're in a, in an age of, of, of not just diagnosis, but treatment and acceptance and looking at it that way. Is that, is that the goal to be able to look at, at OCD as a, as, as a broken leg and kind of view it the same way without stigma? Yeah, I think so. I think not requiring to like, I, I find in a lot of cases with guys who are, who are struggling, I think not requiring, um, like having to, like having to look inward about what you're dealing with is like the biggest place to get to. Like for me to be able to be like, Hey, I'm feeling sad today. Should I go see a doctor? That shouldn't even be a, should I, right? right? I should be able to say, Oh, I'm feeling sad today. I'm sick. I should probably go talk to a doctor cause I hasn't gone away for a few days or it's right. just starting or whatever, right. whatever the case may be. But, just like you would a cold. Right. Exactly. If exactly. it lingered and lingered and lingered, you're probably going to take care of that shit. Like somehow. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to sit at home and say, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a cold. Right. Right. Until it's 10 days late and you're puking. Right. And you're yep. just like, uh oh, I want to be able to do that where you're like, I'm sick. It's been a couple of days. I'm still feeling all right, but I should tackle this. I want to do that the exact same way with mental health. And that's what I keep trying to preach to people. It's like that's my biggest thing is like being able to handle it the minute it comes up. And to the point that mental health is, you know, taught to people and that it's that it's actually out there. Because like when I was little, I had no idea it even existed. Right. So I want people to know that when those symptoms come up, it's not just sad. It's Mm -hmm. not just you're not being a man. Yeah. It's you know, you have something going on and it's worth handling and it's you should probably go reach out to somebody. And I want people to know that people like me, people like you, you know, are all there to say, hey, me too. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, that. uh to borrow a powerful concept right there. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 uh, imagine if the entire me too movement was, was, uh, put over the idea of, Hey, are there guys out there who have felt this way? Right. I right. mean, my gosh, you could, you could, I, I think it would be a, a movement 
that would be gigantic, um, almost as it is now for, for, for the context that it is used for. I mean, how many of us have right. felt this way? I think there's an issue with, with that. Like even just like, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of wake that's caused by that in a lot of ways in the misuse of, of that type of a movement that I think a lot of guys are, you know, really concerned. Like, I mean, you see it to this day where I think just the culture around, um, being a man is just like, holy shit. Like in a, in a society where, you know, sex is now almost, almost transactional Yes, where it's like, you shouldn't shame somebody, you know, slut shaming has gone out the window, that kind of stuff. And I obviously have always been on side with that. I just find that a lot of men are now concerned with, yeah. uh, Uh, Oh, uh Oh, right. And you see it every day now. You see like somebody else has gone down in the newspaper for something they've done. And you see guys like I think a lot of guys who are struggling with that type of anxiety, you can't a lot of those guys can't go to somebody and say, hey, listen, I'm feeling scared about this because it automatically almost makes you a villain or say like, hey, listen, I'm anxious about um, how to approach this person. I want to hang out with her. How do I ask her? Oh, yeah, that kind of stuff for a guy is definitely difficult to tackle. I think Um, there's a lot of anxiety there for guys who are who are struggling and. And I think that's just, it's just a conversation that men need to have with women and say, Hey, listen, like I'm feeling anxious about this. How do me and you get along in a relationship where this is, you know, mm-hmm. no longer, no longer an issue. Cause I want to help you and I want you guys to help us. Right. So, and, and that's not, um, I don't know about you, actually, I, I do know about you, but I know for me personally, that wasn't the conversation I was encouraged to have when I was growing up. No, and I know it's the not. same with you, even though you're still in that, you know, you're, you're in that, uh, 18 to to, to 30 range that that target range and, and that was not what you were equipped with either no god no god no like, i just remember the 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 uh locker room talks very real it is a real thing and i find that a lot of a lot of that issue has come has come up and almost i in at least my time as a hockey player has almost turned around like i try and wean it off as much as i like when i see it, i nip it in the bud like I say, hey man, like what's an example of seeing it? I just without outing like, anybody or anything. What's yeah, of just, course. What's an, what's I, I an think example? growing up with guys who are like, oh, like you know, did you got what'd you do with her yesterday? Okay, and it's like, you know, I'd rather keep that to myself. Like that's you yep. know, that's me and her business or so and so and I's business. And like I've never really, I I honestly to this day haven't seen it too bad, um, like to where to the point where it's obviously become local news in a situation, sure. right? Like which is what you see now, but. But I've, like just the subtle stuff, I say like, hey, like, you know, be respectful. That kind of stuff is just kind of huge. And I think also for a lot of guys who are in that situation, you're when you do that, you also kind of wreck scenarios for men who are who are uh, trying to be as respectful as they can, but are also struggling with that anxiety who are like, how do I approach a situation properly? Right. If this is the way I approach a situation properly, this must be how it's done. You know, like if you see other guys talking that way about women and 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 obviously it's it's a it's a give and take relationship and conversation men have to have with girls like i just need to say hey like what is and what isn't appropriate and i think their conversation and what they're asked have been pretty straightforward so i think yes you know for guys they need to come out and say hey listen like i'm feeling anxious about this let's have a conversation where we can say hey like we're struggling with with this you guys are struggling with that let's talk and say you know come up with that compromise in the middle where everybody everybody comes out sharp we use the term you know iron sharpens iron right Uh, of course you know it's an amazing sometimes when iron sharpens iron there's sparks there's 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 a lot of noise there's clanging and banging but you both come out sharper on the end right and uh that's probably where we're at when it comes to what we need to start doing. We need to start sharpening each I other. I think that I think those two those two types of movements can really benefit off of each other. And I think that's that's where the place we need to be headed next is just being able to help with with uh, you know 
day-to-day conversation transaction and 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 just love all around so that's kind of where i've come to with all of this but how many times in your life have you been told that you're wise beyond your years <laughs> honestly <laughs> believe it or not this is this is usually hindsight's 2020 when it comes to having <laughs> conversations with people and saying hey like you have pretty good insight you know most of the things you learn from are are afterwards like you know you go through a breakup and you say you know I probably shouldn't have spoken to her this way, that kind of a right. conversation. So I'm starting to understand like growing up um, and, and, and my relationships, like this is how I should be treating my friends, I should be treating my family, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the wise beyond my years thing, I'm just happy I experienced enough of it to be able to do it by 20. Because obviously you have guys right now who are who are in the news getting dragged down by 50. Absolutely. And and I mean, they're still behaving like they're 17 year old. Yes. Right. And that's like the biggest thing for me. And And so I think there was a doctor um, and a and a and a psychologist at U of T named Jordan Peterson. I, I yep, I'm I'm a, with Jordan Peterson. So I'm in the I was in the middle of his uh, Twelve Rules for Life, and, yep. and I'm on his political stances on things. I'm I don't necessarily align all the way, but sure. I think um, a lot of his how to be a guy, how to be a respectful man, how to clean your room and get up every day and yep. do the things you need to do. I think a lot of that is kind of where a lot of this comes from. Is 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 men like that who've kind of taught me how to behave as a guy, how yeah. to, you know, and so to be able to learn it by twenties is massive. And then I just kind of hope um, I can help guys, you know, tackle their mental health issues while also inspiring them to, to at least kind of look inward and learn what they can do better. Uh, I will say this. You are just so you, just so you're <laughs> aware, that. you absolutely are. Um, I, I'm blown away by the articulate awareness that you have, uh, the articulate self-reflection that you have. It is, um, it's bonkers. And, and, and to me, you are one of those guys that has taken, and I think, I think, uh, there's a, there's a, um, a book that I love, uh, called unfuck yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, and it talks about how not everything is our fault, but everything is our responsibility. Right. Uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, I think actually talks about that as right. well. Mark Madsen. Um, and, and I I'm seeing it happening right now where, where here is some, someone who, early on in life before you even really understood um, it was not your fault that there has been this chemical imbalance right. and these things that have kind of uh, got put onto your plate, but it became your responsibility really immediately did. and, and uh, bumps along the way, of course, right. nothing's perfect, but boy, oh boy, have you ever um, taken that and become the flag bearer of, of solution for so many. And I just appreciate your insights. I appreciate where you're coming from. And, and I just want to encourage you to, to keep it up. And, uh, I know that we want to, we want to follow you. We want to, um, you know, cheer you on as well as you, as you are such a positive example for, for what men should be of all ages. No, I appreciate it. I mean, I just, I'm just happy that people are interested enough because, you know, taking an interest in something is already, is already doing more than most are. And I think that's a step in the right direction for everyone. So I'm just really happy to be on this, on this podcast to talk to you. Man, um, this is really cool. What number are you on the ice? Seventeen. You're seventeen. Why'd you Why'd you pick that number? Has it always been your number, or was it? God no. I was. Uh, <laughs> I grew up. I was. I was a defenseman when I started. So, yep. I, and I was a Calgary boy. So I loved Dion Phaneuf. And uh, I had number three, go. and then I went to four because of Bo Meester. Yep. And then on most of my third jerseys, because my dad's uh, junior teammate was Marty McSorley when they played in the O Show together, I'd always I'd always choose thirty three. Like I love awesome. thirty three, but most teams don't have thirty three. Right. So then I went to thirteen. Because Matt Sundin, yep. I loved Matt Sundin. And then, so I was wearing 13 forever, but a lot of teams don't have 13 either. I find out. So I go to North Okanagan after for my first year of junior, and I ended up picking the next best thing, which is 23. Gotcha. And I was there with 23. 
and then came down to Kelowna and they had none of those numbers. <laughs> so I was like 17. It is. I told Ken, sure, I'll wear whatever you guys have. I'm just really happy to be in Kelowna. Finally. <laughs> it took me a while, but I made it here and I'll, I'm not going to turn my nose up at a number. So, well, there it is. Uh, for those of you looking for a lucky lotto number this week, 17 is it. And, um, Gosh, Marshall, thank you so much for taking time out of your out of your day. I know that your preseason's going right now. You're still in school and doing all these all these uh, all these things that keep you really really busy during COVID. And you've taken time out of your day to be here and to and to to talk about um, what's important, um, not just to you, but what's important, right? And I yeah. just appreciate that so much. Anything, any last words that you want to say before we no, wrap I'm her just, up? I'm just really grateful to have been on. And and obviously, like, I'm just I'm just hoping a lot of the guys who might be watching this and are and are seeing me talk about this um, don't hesitate. Like my, they find me on Instagram, they find me on Facebook. My number's always there. If they want a little suggestion on, on which way to go or how I got to where I am, I'm right there. And uh, it's always been open and, and obviously I'm, I'm just a phone call or text away. And if you just like, just Google my name, my Instagram will pop up or my Facebook will pop up and I'm there. Uh, let's finish it right there. Marshall sure. Portia. So you want to spell the name just so they. they... Yeah. So my, my Instagram is just my full name. So M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-P-O-R-T-E-O-U-S. T-E-O-U-S. That's it. There it is. Um, once again, inspiring podcast uh, for, uh, for, for he changed it. Uh, lots of cool things happening in the world. If he changed it right now, uh, if you want to get some information, we're still doing some beta testing, although that looks like it might be coming to an end sooner than later. And, and we might actually get this thing out in the app store here. Uh, some good things have been falling, uh, falling that way. We're going to do a, a podcast update with the uh, creators, the co-founders of, uh, he changed it here in the next couple of weeks. We're excited about that info at he changed it.com. Uh, my name is Mike Chisholm. The podcast is HeCast, the official podcast of He Changed It. Thank you very much for taking some time out of your day to be part of this. And uh, yeah, have a fantastic week. Cheers.